Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Does everyone have, does every, anyone in this room not have a Bible? It looks like we're all seasoned veteran Bible readers, I would hope. Because I had a bit of a, uh, bit of a moment this morning. And as we are on this adventure of new things to come, and as I'm asking God, what are some of the things that we, we want to get rid of? What are some of the things that we, we need to change? There's going to be things that I think sometimes maybe we've aimed to be helpful that haven't been helpful and things that we've aimed to, to bring into our congregational meetings and our gatherings together that maybe aren't helpful. One of the things that I felt this morning was that we put the word, the, the Bible verses up on the screen as the person preaches. And while I don't think this is a major deal, I just found it interesting that, and as we've been going through these Thursday night teaching times, that some of us may not know how to navigate a Bible or may not have a Bible. And us putting the words up there, the verses up there, doesn't teach us good habits to learn how to be able to turn to verses quickly or even slowly and navigate how to read it. So from here on in out, here on in out, that's all of the moments forward, if you missed some of the moments forward, we're going to stop doing that. And I want to challenge all of us that if you don't have a Bible, please come and tell me, I will buy you a Bible. I will buy you whichever Bible you think would be the best one for you to have. Maya keeps hers in a protective little case. You can do that if you'd like. It's up to you. But I I just want to challenge us. If you don't have a Bible, please, please come and see me. I will sort it out for you. Whether that's just an app on your phone, doesn't have to be a paper Bible. And even more so, if you don't know how to read it, if you don't know what the little numbers mean, please come and talk to me. We're going to do more discipleship times next year. I'm going to do as many as we can possibly put together, as many times as would suit people. But it does burden my heart that we sit in here Sunday after Sunday and there's things like simply that we don't understand. And I just want to change that. So if you have a Bible, fantastic. Do you want to open it to Colossians? Where cat? Well done. Well done. You'll be seeing uh, 20... 2022, is that next year? 2022, Cap. All kinds of sermons will be coming out. Get ready for more sermons. Where are we going to? Colossians. Does everyone know where Colossians is? Get there. Let's get there. Colossians, number two. There's only four chapterinos in Colossians. And guys, the reason that I'm asking guys to come and to recap is not it's not an ad that we need you to come. It's not a, the reason that we, we call them announcements, I heard a friend of mine say this just this week, um, that the reason we call them announcements is because we're just announcing what's going on. We're not trying to get you to twist your arm to come. Do I think it would be beneficial? Absolutely. But it's not, it, it doesn't make me feel better or worse if you're there or not there. What I want is for all of us, if you don't need that, if you don't need to, to wrestle through the scriptures with people or you don't think it would be helpful, that's okay. But what we want to do is just create more spaces for us to go deeper in Christ. It's not a, a pitch, a sales pitch. I'm not, it, doesn't, it doesn't make 
my ministry feel better if there's more people there. I just want us to be able to have the resources that we need to see Jesus in a bigger, more meaningful way. Does that make sense? As I was driving up to Shannon Coco's last night, I, I saw a sign on the way that God reminded me of this morning during worship. And it's at a, I think it's an Anglican church on the way up the hill there, near where Imagine is, I think, maybe. But they had a sign up and it, it interests me um, as I drove past and I was just thinking about it and God reminded me this morning and the sign said, Christmas for Christ or Christ for Christmas. I can't remember which one it was. And it's interesting to me because we have to put a sign up to remind the people that Christmas is a time about Christ. And it's in the very name, Christmas, right? Christ. And I, as I was thinking about it, I thought, what a silly sign. But then I, as I thought deeper, I thought, what an important sign that we need right now. Because even for me, when we think about Christmas, Christmas is a very exciting time for me because it's always meant that my, I've been around my family. It's always been a time of coming together that I don't get to see my family throughout the year. And it also means for a lot of us, rest. But right? it means two, for some of us, three weeks of rest, of no thinking about work, of no, you know, watching cricket, going to the beach, hanging out. It's just, it's lots of cricket. It's lots of naps while watching cricket where you feel like you're helping them get wickets because you're napping, right? <laughs> it's a lot of that. And I started to rethink the sign and think, actually, we need the reminder. We need the reminder now, if not more than ever, that this Christmas is about Christ. So then the next question comes, which I, I ask myself, well, why do we close down at Christmas? Why do we, why do we shut the doors and not gather together over the time of Christmas? There's two reasons. The first one is what I said earlier, for rest, to allow the teams that serve diligently in this house to take that time off as well, to have a break, to be able to go away, to go camping over the weekends that all of us like to do. But the second reason is more important. The second reason is because you get to go and be light in your family during this time, around your friends, in their space, taking Christ, which is for Christmas, taking him into the places that normally wouldn't have him. And not just as a, in a passive way, but in an active way to be sitting at your family dinner. And if it's a non-Christian dinner, just go, hey guys, I know it's real odd, but can we just pray before we... We break bread. Every time I've done that in, in non-Christian settings, I've never been told no. It's been an awkward sort of like get the plane off the ground, but I've never ever been told no. Yeah, weird guy, you can do whatever you'd like to do. Thanks. See, when we're active with our faith, we can choose the positions in which we bring light into darkness. And that gives us an opportunity to do that, that we get to start to think, Lord, what are you doing out there? How can I go and how can I be a part of something that, that you're doing? And there's a, there was a word that Coco brought during worship last week that I want to I spend some time on during this sermon and just to, to carry on from what, what Sean was speaking about, about the time of change that we're in, the changes that get made within, within the body, the changes that get made where there's, there is times of uneasing, there is times of, of feeling sick or feeling awkward. Or feeling tired but God is in those moments that God is moving through those times and as we've been going through Colossians there was something that jumped out to me in in Colossians 2 in the the subheading that you get there that says alive in Christ 
because he challenges us. Paul, the author, challenges us in such a way that I think it's, it's fantastic in this time, in this time of Christmas, to remember what it is that we are supposed to be. He says this in Colossians 6, sorry, Colossians 2. See, already we don't know how to read. Already I'm confused. Colossians number 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the wholeness of, day, of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Why is the death of Christ important at Christmas, a time that's supposed to celebrate the birth? Because all of who Christ is comes from the very start of Revelation, all, sorry, very start of Genesis, all the way through to Revelation. We can't have the death of Christ without the birth of Christ. And we can't have the resurrection of Christ without the death of Christ. Right? The moment we take one of the parts and we, and we sing, single it out, we actually lose the power of what the cross means. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he was born a man, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended, and that he is returning. It's the wholeness of Christ that speaks of the power, that in his birth, he came to change the path that we were on, the path of destruction that came from sin entering in. His birth began our journey. And his return will end our journey. On this earth, in this place, right? The, 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 the fullness, the, the, the wholeness of what Christ is doing is in all and all encompassed. This, the Christmas time excites me just as much as Easter. It excites me just as much as the beginning of Acts where he's extended. Sorry, ascended. All of it plays into who Christ is. But the first thing that Paul says in this, in this, in this chapter is to, to, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All of us in this room have received Christ, right? I'm fairly certain, 97% certain. 3% there I'm missing. So therefore, Paul is charging all of us. The first thing he says is to walk in Him. We sang this morning about Christ as Lord. right? In Revelation, it says that on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's a perplexing idea because why does Jesus need to be a Lord if He's already a King? 
But the difference between a lord and a king is that a lord, sorry, a king makes an authority over a people. He sets the boundaries of how the place will live. But a lord is in the city. A lord is in amongst the people. A lord is in the town that he has lordship over. Whereas a king normally resides over the whole place, but he's in a withdrawn place where the people can't get to. But the people in the city, they go to the lords. So it's important for Jesus to be a lord. Why? Because we can reach him. Because he is in us. We get the opportunity to speak to him, to be with him. The, the, the problem with a king is that a king can see as, as far off. A king can see as a high and mighty ruler who sits unattainable, but a lord is in the city with the people. See, when Jesus came, he came to be with us so that he could be amongst us, so that he could teach and grow us. So when Paul charges us to walk in him, he's saying he has given you the authority to operate on his behalf as what? As a king and as a priest. See, Jesus, because of what he did, allows us inside of him to operate with him, to be one with him and to allow who he is to flow into those places. It's important that we understand who we are in this, especially in this time. Because who we are rubs off on those who are around us. Who we are allows those who are around us to see who Christ is because it's Christ in us that flows through us into those who are around us. And I love that Paul says here at the end, and Coco spoke about it so beautifully this morning, about abiding in thanksgiving. He ends this first part by saying, abide in thanksgiving. For most of us, sorry, for some of us, Christmas can be a difficult time. For some of us, family isn't here. For some of us, we don't have a lot to do. For some of us, there's a challenge in Christmas because it reminds us about the things that we want or the things that we need. It's easy to look at the person next to us and say, well, they have a family, they have a partner, they have, I don't, therefore. Right? There's an opportunity for us to look at Christmas as a sad time. But I love that Paul in this, he says, and he charges us to operate and abound in thanksgiving. And Coco said it so beautifully this morning that even when we are in the midst of a storm, we have the most important thing to be thankful for. Even in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we have the most important thing to be thankful for. That this time reminds us that I am, because the great I am said I am. I am a son of the Most High. That's what I'm thankful for. So I can look around my, my empty apartment on Christmas Day, which I hope none of us have, that you could reach out to somebody. But it does happen, and there's an element for us to be sad and upset in that time. But Jesus says, because of who I am in you, I've given you something to be grateful for. And that's a challenging thing. It's easy to say when, when your world looks awesome and somebody else's world looks terrible. But if we can understand or grasp what it means, what Paul is saying to abound in thanksgiving, that even in the times when we're struggling the most, Jesus, you are enough. And you said who you are and I believe you and it is true. That, that our heart in thankfulness and gratitude toward him because who he is, is enough to pull us out of the mess in which we sit. It's easy to look at the problem, but what Paul is saying to us in this is he's saying, my, my dear brothers and sisters, walk in Christ. 
be rooted, be founded in Him, be built in Him, be established in Him. But most of all, abide in thanksgiving. Never leave the place of thankfulness. Never leave where you are in thankfulness because that will enter into more pain and more suffering. Hebrews, if you've got a Bible, hold Colossians. Go backwards. Backwards? Forwards. Let's go forwards rather. Gee, Mal got me there. Whew. It's good to see he's listening there. Go forward a few books. Hold in Colossians. Go forward to Hebrews 12. Chapter 12, verse 26. I'm going to read from 26 to 29. Everyone's there. It says this, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, sorry, this phrase, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want you to take this verse, and if you're a visual learner, put it on your fridge. I like to put it on my mirror where I brush my teeth, because you spend a few good minutes brushing your teeth if you're a good boy. But take this verse and I want, you to, I want you to begin to just recite this verse over this time that we have. Why is it important? Because we are right now in the midst of an absolute shaking. That things are being stirred, turned upside down, shook, torn apart. And the beautiful thing about this verse right here, it says, The removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made. In order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. A little quote that I wrote while reading this verse is, Let the church of man worry for the things to come, but let the church of Christ rejoice in what is before us. Let the church of man worry for the things to come, but let the church of Christ rejoice in what is before us. What mankind has made will be fallen away in this shaking. What has been placed by man will break and tear apart in what is taking place in the world right now. There are some massive idols that are being removed, are being shook, are being torn apart, are being questioned right in this very moment. I know I haven't been alive for very long, but I haven't seen this many leaders, not just in churches, but corporately as well, fall like we've seen in the last two years and as I've been praying of late I get this uneasing tension that next year is not going to be easier I know that we like to hear the last sermon of the year because I won't really preach 
next week, but the last sermon of the year should be a pump up for next year. But I just don't have a pump up. I tried my best. Lord, give me a fun word. Give me something. Give me, give me like blessed or highly favored and I'll just go for that. But the signs of the time are showing us that next year is not going to be easier. There is going to be more pain. There is going to be more tearing. There's going to be more shaking. There's going to be more falling away. So what hope is there for us? The hope for us is simply this. Therefore, let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Next year, when things begin to come, when turmoil begins to turn, where storms begin to rage, I want you to remember that you have given into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I am not worried for where we go next year, not one iota. Why? Because I believe that God has called us. I believe that He has asked us to, to be in this place. I believe that all of us that are sitting here, for those that have truly decided, I want to help be a part of this, that there will be a place for us, that God will bring us where we're meant to be. We cannot be shaken because I believe with all that I am that we have chosen to build on the kingdom of God. That has been difficult, that has been hard, and has been trying but it cannot be shaken because the Bible says it can't be. And this is what we stand on. So I want to I challenge you that, that when things come, not if, not if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you walk through the valley of the shadow, that we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Let the church of man worry for the things to come, but let the church of Christ rejoice in what is before us. Go back to Colossians if you're still finger marked there. Earmarked, but don't turn your pages over on your books because books are precious. Go back to Colossians 2 for me. Down to verse 8. Paul says, See to it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and deceit. There is a lot of this also taking place right now. A lot of people's minds in captivity. A lot of people caught up by the likes of certain television presenters that we shall not name. By the morning show, by the afternoon news, by the friend who won't let something go. The turmoil that is in our heart is because we've founded the things of the world and we've placed them in there. We have removed the things that God is telling us and we have sought counsel from the world. We've allowed empty deceit and philosophy of the world to, in, to, captive, to, to 
take captive our heart, take captive our mind. We've allowed the things of the world to take place where God is saying, let me speak in that time. God, I can't pay my bills. Let me speak. God, I can't have a child. Let me speak. God, I lost my job. Let me speak. When we take our eyes off our situation, when we take our eyes off what the world is telling us and we set our gaze on Him, then we begin to be set free from the pain and the suffering that we are in. Anxiety is a, is a captured... What's the word? Captivated. Now, that's the wrong word, isn't it? Held captive. <laughs> when we have anxiety... I just, just went on a little rabbit trail in my brain trying to find one word. When anxiety is rife in our heart and in our mind, when we cannot see, it's because our brain and our heart has been held captive by philosophy and empty deceit of the world. We have allowed the promises of man to rule and reign in our world. And that's not to mean we, that, that if you have that, that it's just easy, go and break it off. There is a journey to come away from that. But it starts, in most cases, with turning off the noise. Stop listening. Stop waiting on the next news release. Stop waiting on Tuesday morning's case numbers to come out if you've got an event on. Stop waiting for, I don't know whether I'm going to make it because the borders may not be opened or closed. Stop waiting on that and start looking and trusting in Christ to say, God, I know what's going to take place in this because you cannot be shaken. And when I'm doing it in your manner, when I'm doing it in your ways, in your kingdom, to see your rule be done, it cannot be shaken. That's where I stand. There's things that we are going to question. There's things that are going to take place next year. And we're going to have to keep our gaze on Him. We're going to have to keep our gaze on the kingdom. Our ear close to the, the, the grindstone to hear, Lord, what are you doing? And one of the things I've wrestled with is, well, what if God doesn't give me an answer in the final hour? Will I hold on? Will I wait? And we can apply this to anything. Lord, what if, what if my job hangs in the balance? What if um, my, my home hangs in the balance? What if, what if, will you wait for me to speak in that moment? Will you seek my voice in that moment? Or will you allow the things of the world that are around you to hold you captive and to continue to rule and reign in your thought process? When Paul tells us to put on the suit of armor, when he tells us to put on in Ephesians, he says to put on the helmet of salvation. Right? The helmet of salvation. The reason he explains the helmet as, a, as, a, as salvation is because it covers our think tank. It covers our brain. It covers what we think through. Right, And it's, it's our salvation. So it's who we are in Christ. Our helmet of salvation is to say, I am a son and daughter of the Most High. That when we leave the house, our salvation, putting it on as a helmet, means that the world cannot in, um, penetrate my understanding and my brain. You cannot tell me that I'm not a son of the Most High. You cannot tell me that I am terrible or I'm a, a bad person or I'm this or I'm that because I put my helmet on this morning. And I know who I am. 
I know what my salvation means. So when someone says something to me so strongly, I just smile, thanks for your opinion, but got the old helmet. Straight out. Straight through the keeper, you call that in cricket. You just let that go through. Why? Because I know who I am. Because when I left the house this morning, I said, Lord, you died for me. You died for me. You saw my face on the cross. You knew who I was. You knew what you were doing. You knew that you were getting me. Terrible deal for you. Great deal for me. But you knew you were getting me and I know that now. Therefore, when I leave my home, I am because you, the great I am, said I am. That's my helmet. That's the salvation that I put on. So when you're wrestling through, Lord, what, what is it that's going on? Lord, Lord, I don't think I can do this. I'm not good enough, God. I don't have enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. You look down at your table and your helmet is sitting on the table because you're allowing these things, these lies and these deceit to penetrate you. And the powerful thing is that Paul goes on and he says in, in verse 9, for in him who, Jesus, the whole fullness. I love how he says the whole fullness. He's like, I need you to understand it's a lot of fullness. It's all of the fullness that can be had. The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What's he saying? He's saying that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead the Father, the Son, and the Spirit dwell in Him. Yahweh, the Creator God, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega are in Christ. And you, sons and daughters of God, have been filled up from that tank. So which means in me, because Christ is in me and I am in Him, it means that the fullness of the deity, the fullness of God dwells in me. So when I leave the house and I put on my helmet of salvation, guess what I'm putting on? The fullness of the Godhead, the beginning and the end, Yahweh, Creator God, is in me and dwells in me. And, and, and because of that, He dwells through me. That's what the Bible says. That when I enter my Christmas lunch, I take with me the fullness of the Godhead. When I go into a park with my kids, or my puppy dog, for some kids, I take with me the fullness of the Godhead that Yahweh dwells in me because Christ has allowed us in Him and in Him the fullness of the body of the Godhead dwells. Just close your eyes for a moment. Take out of anything that's in your hand, just take it out of your hand. And just for a second, let's just pause and just fathom that for a moment. Take a real big deep breath in. And then exhale. Take a big deep breath in. And exhale. And just think for a moment. Yahweh God the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has deemed you worthy to be the temple in which he dwells. 
Take a deep, big, deep breath in. Breathe out. At any moment you feel, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I can't make it through. Remember that Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, dwells in you. That because of Jesus, he finds you worthy enough to be his temple place in which he dwells. before I move on I just pray right now Lord that this wouldn't just be another sermon another Sunday God that we would really grasp what this means right now Jesus Lord that we would really grasp that you made us worthy enough to dwell in us and Lord I pray that in this holiday season in this celebration of you, Jesus, that we would remember that we are in you and you are in us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. When you look at that verse and you see that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, remember that the dwelling place of God is not the temple court like it used to be. It's not the building that's open. It's that he chose you through Jesus to dwell and make the temple. That to me is absolutely huge. Let me finish with the last two things that Paul says. Verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. I once had explained to me like this, and I've always remembered this, and it's a powerful way to let go of something that is in your life and to move forward, is that someone once said to me, imagine a courtroom, a massive old filled courtroom, and you're in the uh, defendant side of the courtroom, and there's a, a man in an in a all-black suit, and he is, he's accusing you. And there is a judge sitting in the judge's seat in a beautiful white suit. And the man stands up with the black suit, and he starts to read out a list of charges. And on the list of charges is all of the things that you've ever done in your life that are evil, awful, unhelpful, terrible. And there's even things on there that you... you 
can barely remember, but you know that we're yours. And he starts to read the charges out. And as he finishes, the judge asks, how does the defendant plea? And just before you're about to open your mouth, Jesus walks in and he puts his hand up to the judge and he says, I paid this in full. I paid this in full. This man is free to go. And the judge says, yep, the debt's been paid. And he slams the hammer. And you get to leave the courtroom with the man in the black suit looking ridiculous. Silly, angry. That Jesus said, I paid your debts on that cross. I paid your pains and your suffering on that cross. It is finished. There's a thing in the legal world called double jeopardy, which means you cannot be tried twice. There is no more trial. Jesus paid the price for you, finished, done, complete, forgotten as far as the east is from the west. So when we stand in that place to remember when our helmet of salvation comes on and the accuser starts to throw things at us, we go, no, 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 no. I paid for that. Jesus paid for that in full. I owe you nothing. I want to change my life. I want to stop doing the things that are hurting me because God's given me a way to live. But I owe you nothing for that. It's paid in full. That's what Paul's saying. That in that baptism, in your water baptism, you went, you died to your old man and you arose again in Christ, in the new man that he created. Behold, all things have become made new. We have been made new. That's the helmet that we put on when we leave the house. That's the helmet that we put on when the world throws things at us. That's the helmet that we wear when, when things don't seem right. That is unshakable. That's the kingdom of God. You were dead in your trespasses. We were dead. But because of Christ, we are now made alive. And he finishes the, the, the verse in verse 14 by saying this. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in all. Coco sang a song last week um, that Rick Pino released and the lyrics were simply, he restores everything. He restores everything. God, for all of us in this room, well, for everyone that, who, that, was, that was born, God has created a plan and a purpose. He has written a scroll that outlines my life, that outlines Timmy's life, Josh's life, Kayla's life. He has written a scroll that outlines your life. It shows the way in which, the thing in which he actually has called you to. And as I was praying through this, as I was praying and that, and that song was playing, I had the song playing. I heard God say, I'm not restoring it back to the way it was. I'm putting it back to the way I intended it. I'm not restoring it back to the way it was. I'm putting it back to the way I intended it. God is not restoring your life back to something in the past. He's restoring your life back to what was originally written on your scroll what you were originally meant to be, what you were originally meant to do, that's the restoration of God. In this time, when God is restoring our life, He's not restoring Ben back to the old Ben. Why? Because the old Ben died. 
The old Ben's forgotten. God is restoring our life back to who he's called us to be from the very beginning. So any God is not calling you back to the old life. He's not calling you back to something old. He's calling you to who you're meant to be. He's calling you into your scroll. He's calling you to the thing he gave you from the day you were born. That's what God is restoring us into. My heart weeps when I see Christians not living their plan because it makes God think I made something so much better. Son, daughter, let me restore you to who I always meant you to be. It's challenging because you have to outwalk something you didn't think you could do. You have to see something in the future that you can't quite understand. God is calling us forward. And can I tell you, it is a challenging, challenging thing to understand. I had a friend call me during the week who I haven't spoken to for quite some time. He's a friend of mine who lives in Sri Lanka named David. And when I first met David, it was in a train in India. And I reached out my hand to shake his hand. And I was with Brad and Brad said, David, Ben, Ben, David. And as I shook his hand, he didn't say anything to me, but he instantly gave me a prophetic word. And the word was that I will be, he said, Ben, you will be in places that people won't understand how you got there. That you will be, you were called to something that you will never understand how it got there. And I thought to myself, that's pretty weird. Fantastic. I'm going to be a police chief and I'm going to get there real quick at the time. But God changed my path. Well, no, it was the same path he gave me. I changed my understanding of my path. And I thought that that was done. I had signed that off because a lot of people have said to me, how did you become a church leader at your age and the story that you have? So I thought in my head, and I had done this quite probably a year and a half ago, that, that word was finished. I did what he told me I was going to do. I became a church leader and that was the odd thing. David messaged me during the week and I haven't spoken to him for quite a while. Gets on the phone and normally a conversation like that is, you know, backwards and forwards. How are you going? Good. How are you going? But he wouldn't let me ask him any questions. He said, he said tell me what's going on in your world right now. So I told him. I just shared where we're at and what's happening. And he said, Ben, you put this prophetic word on the shelf. And I said, no, I think I fulfilled it. He said, no, God is telling you right now that this is the beginning of that call. And I don't say that so that I can get a pat on the back. I say that because there's so many of us here this morning who have been given prophetic words that you've put on the shelf, who God has called you to something and you've either thought, I achieved that, the low bar of that, or it's finished. But God is saying, I'm restoring everything. In this time, I am restoring everything. Not back to your understanding of that dream, of that vision. I am restoring it back to the way that I had planned it. The way that I had called it. You think that this is what it looks like, but I am restoring that back. I want to pray for some of you this morning. I wasn't going to, but I just feel right now to do this. So, Louis, can you just put a pad on for me? And I, I don't want to be the only guru that's praying, and I don't think that I 
necessarily carry anything particular. And rather than you guys sit there and audit, if you'd like to go get a coffee, you can do that. But if you'd like to sit and pray as well, that would be fantastic. But I feel like there is, is some of us in this room who have forgotten things that God has given us. And over this time, I, over this break that we have, I want us to begin to, to focus on that, to ask the Lord to reignite our hearts. But why don't you all just stand for a moment? And I just want to ask if you would just begin to pray. But if it's okay, I want to pray for some peeps.